To Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shod boots to official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Sean, how you doing this morning? I'm doing really good, Mr. Casey. Really, that's, really good. That's great. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And Sean, there's a lot of a lot of news going on. No, no lack of things to talk about here of late. Um, Let's, let's jump right to the export reports that are supposed to come out uh, this uh, this morning here. And there is a big number behind the soybeans, man. There's a, they're, they're expecting between 2 and 3 million metric tons of soybeans. So um, as you sit back and look and see what's going on, um, the Chinese have been buying. They've been buying a lot of stuff, corn and soybeans as well. Um, but the, uh, the soybean number is... Ex- exorbitantly high compared to everything else. So I guess what's your what's your reaction to that? Well, I mean, there's two things going on. First of all, they are we know for a fact that they are rebuilding their hog herd in a significant way. Next year is the big rebuild year, which means they need a ton of soybeans to crush in the bean mill. Um, we know all, a lot of the backyard uh, producers are are gone uh, in order to better control uh, the hog health. Uh, so now we have we're moving towards more of these corporate. Farms there in 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 China, which and, and the corporate farms instead of feeding, you know, food table scraps to the to the uh, to the hogs, they feed them bean meal and corn and higher, you know, higher. So so the bean meal demand for that is going to go through the roof. At the same time, the floods that took place and have already taken place drowned about half of their soybean crop. They're not a huge producer but to the extent that they're not going to have the kind of crop they normally have. It means they have to buy even extra in the open market. And being that they've already cleaned out. Brazil of what Brazil can sell them. Uh, any extra means they just have to buy that much more from us. Um, and so these numbers are going to continue to be big for the foreseeable future. Um, I don't really see them slowing down anytime soon, uh, Casey. Um, they're they're, they're going to be on a track to buy like they used to buy from us, um, you know, well into the end of the year, into the first quarter. I really don't see anything to stop that right now. So let's talk about some of the flooding that's going on over there. It's causing a lot of this buying. Um, Yesterday in my pro farm report, there was a, a little paragraph. They have little paragraphs, little stories that pop up, and and the uh, the story that I want to reference here was there according to their rice production. And as you, I can't remember the exact thing, but it's something to do that despite the flooding in the area, um, the Chinese rice production's up over what it was last year, which I couldn't. I find that so hard to believe since the entire area that produces rice is you know, six feet underwater. Let, let me answer that question this way. Um, so po- according to the Chinese, they've had record corn crops uh, every single year for the last 10 years. Well, that's true. Um, and if you, if you believe their numbers, they're swimming in corn. Yet they're running out of corn. They have no corn to corn. The corn price is six, seven, eight dollars a bushel. They're buying record amounts of corn from the U.S., because of course that never happened. It was never they never had those record corn crops. Unfortunately, or you know, the the, the Chinese are driven by a propaganda machine uh, that puts out the information they want to put out there, uh, not the truth. 
I know we only find out what the truth is with their actions, not with their words. Of course, the rice crop's down from last year, and it's down a lot. But there's no way that the Chinese, who are so dependent on rice to feed half the population at least, is going to come out and say, we are under it. We are in deep trouble. That's just not, they're not going to come out and, and, and say that they're going to continue to say, we, everything's great. And then what you're going to see maybe a month or two from now is a record purchase of rice from Thailand or from Vietnam or from India. And everyone's, and then everyone's going to go, whoa, what's that all about? And then you're going to realize that their crop is really not that good. So, so really that's just a, a whitewashing of the reality by the Chinese that is anticipated because they just never, you know, they're not in the business of coming out with the truth. You know, as you know. Yes, that is that is very, very, very true. Um, so, in the coming days here, that doesn't really doesn't really give a date of when that's supposed to be. But the Chinese and the U.S. Um, trade teams are supposed to get together and talk about how how the trade one or trade one phase one trade agreement has gone so far between the two countries. And um, the Chinese here of late are going to be able to come to the table and say, look, we're, we're fulfilling our end, but they're still a long ways from the numbers they were throwing up. So I guess as you take a look at that whole situation and the kind of the facade that was that's surrounding that a little bit here um, of what we saw earlier in the year, what are your thoughts and, and what are you going to think, what are some takeaways you want to see from that? Well, I mean, they were supposed to have this being on the 15th and they, they somehow they, they delayed it a little bit, uh, as you said, for, for maybe over the next couple of weeks. But, I mean, I really think there's two things. First of all, I, I believe most of the buying the Chinese are doing is because they need to buy. Right. Not Agreed. because they're doing us any favors. Exactly. So, so, so let's put that on the table. They're, they're buying because they need to, not because they're uh, trying to make us look good. Now, could they buy more than they need? They could. I think this meeting is more about buying some additional above and beyond what they need. And I think the Chinese have looked at the Democrat potential you know, side, and of course they know Trump's side. And I think they realize that no matter who is, whatever administration's in as president, it behooves them to buy as much U.S. ag as they can right now into the election. Because the, the Democrats are no fan of the Chinese either, by the way. They are saying some really nasty things about what they're going to do if they get in and in fact, they're talking about doing worse things than, than Trump has done. And whether you believe it or not, I think they're hedging their bet. They said, no matter what, we want to go into whoever the new administration is and say, look, we had a big problem at the beginning of the year. We had a virus problem. You understand. We did our best. But look how we've been ripping these purchases here in the last four or five months. Cut us some slack. Give us an extra six months to catch up. We're still, you know, we always loved you guys. And I think that's the, that's where they're coming at. And I think right. what this meeting is about is, you know, I, I think this meeting is about, you know, coming to what that looks like right? and lowering some more tech, you know, getting a little friendlier. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of nasty talk. There's been a lot of nasty politics have been going on, as you know, lately. And I think they're trying to soften some of the rhetoric going into the elections because it's gotten to a point where, you know, I'm not sure they want uh, things to escalate much worse for them because they still have to coexist with, with either Trump again or the next administration. I think they need, they're need they trying to soften the blow. So I think this meeting is all about how much more can we buy than we need and how can we make this look good so that you guys just back off from us for a little while, give it, cut us some slack. That's right. what I think. 
that's, that's what I want to hear. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a real good point. All right, so let's jump over and talk about. Where do I want to go? There's so much to talk about here. Um, let's let's talk about wheat production for a minute, and and then we'll jump over to um, what we see happening in Argentina. So Argentina, let's start there first. Argentina is likely to plant 6.2 million hectares of corn um, in 20 and 21. Uh, drive out, it's likely to push uh, planting to 100,000 acres below the, the previous season's record. There's been a lot of dryness there and a lot of dryness in Brazil in, in key growing corn growing areas. As you look at that and how that's going to affect the corn market, you know, I kind of go back to my statement last week when we talked. We get all this bullish news and all these crazy things happen and the market just doesn't react. Just doesn't react at all. Whether it's China news or what's happening in South America when it comes to corn and soybeans, just the market does not react unless there's some kind of crazy anomaly that hits here like a inland hurricane type thing that ramped, that ripped through Iowa, right? So I guess th- there's a, I'm reading these articles and there's a lot of bullish news here. And again, the market's down or it, barely, it comes up a cent or two. What's your thoughts? Psychologically, the market tends to be very U.S. centric into September. And once we get there, it says, okay, the U.S. crop is what it is. And then they, then they focus on everything else. But it's really hard to get the, the grain markets and the corn market focused on other news when it's all about the U.S. crop and how big it's going to be and what the weather is and yields. And, you know, it's, it's very hard. As you said, it, they just ignore everything else and they only focus on what's going on with U.S. weather through into early first half of September. Then all these things that are out there that are more bullish, then they start paying attention to it because they can put the crop, the U.S. crop aside. So I think we're pretty close to getting away from it's only matters what the U.S. news is, nothing else. And some of these news stories I do believe are going to start impacting the market positively. And by the way, La Nina is, is strengthening. You know, we've talked about how earlier in the year how this would be getting stronger and stronger as we moved into the end of the year. It is strengthening. And we're also getting what's called a uh, negative Indian Ocean dipole. Yep. That's Really simply, you t- take a look at the sea surface temperatures on each side of India. And a, and a negative Indian Ocean dipole is like a La Nina in Asia. That's their, that's, their, that's their La Nina. So you typically get La Nina in the Pacific and you get a negative Indian. They usually go together. So now that that's kicking in, we're getting what we call a kind of a dual connectivity between the two oceans. And that means that this, that central southern Brazil and Argentina will continue to get warmer and drier in their growing season as time goes on, which means the, the dryness and the, and the, that you alerted to that's been somewhat of a problem is it's going to actually get far, far worse as we move into the, uh, to the, to the fall, you know, their, their planting season. And so uh, we don't see anything going on with central South Brazil or Argentina. It's going to be taking anything off the table in terms of corn production issues, we think it's going to actually accentuate them, reduce acres and make yields even worse. So we don't think we're out of the woods. In fact, we're, we, we think we're going to take it up a notch for South American crop production in those areas. Uh, the, the weather pattern that we have is actually going to accentuate that for that area that's already been under uh, under trouble. And the, the wheat crop there is, is looking very, very poor in Argentina. The corn crop was off those things are, that's actually going to proliferate and get worse, not better. So, so that's going to, once we can get away from this crop 
U.S. crop-centric view, September, October, November, that's going to be a big driver here, Casey, for higher corn prices, we think. All right, so we're day three into uh, the pro or yeah, day three, I guess we're into day four. Day four of the Pro Farmer uh, crop tour that's out there. And they've been, uh, they finished up Illinois yesterday, didn't, they did Nebraska the day before, and Indiana, and a few, a few other places out there. But um, as you look at those results, any surprises there? Not really. You know, I, I never take any of these crop reports terribly seriously, Casey. I mean, we have satellite that was supposed to be able to tell yields within, you know, half a bushel, and they can't get it within 10 bushels to the acre, correct? Right. Um, unfortunately, the the, the 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 act of actually going in a field and determining yield has never been proven to be accurate ever. Um, it doesn't mean they don't do their best. It doesn't mean they're not you know trying to do the, get it right, but they just don't really get close to the number. There's just no way to really come up with a yield. The only way we've known to come up with a general idea of yields is to look at the actual weather data, um, and. We've talked about this in your program before, Casey, that when we've had very warm June, Julys, it has meant that we're not going to have top-end yields like everyone's talking about. Um, June was 3.2 degrees above normal, almost a record for Midwest, and July was 2.2 degrees above normal. I think it was second or third hottest July on record um, overall for the Midwest. Um, when you run the temperature model, that the USDA has this model, by the way, it is, a, it is one of the models they use in their overall view, uh, how they you know, come up with their yield, uh, their non-actual yield results. Um, and it suggests that we're looking at, if you've had okay moisture, you know, mainly not a full-blown drought like 2012, like we've had some moisture, right? Um, it suggests slightly below trend. Um, if trend is 176 to 178, depending on which, uh, which line you want to use, right? That's uh, what suggests us we're looking at a 173 plus or minus two bushel to the acre. That's the number we've been working with now since the end of July when we've been able to verify the temperature data. And we think that's going to be pretty close to the right number when it's all said. Now, right now, everyone's at 182, right? So we're talking about taking 10 bushels to the, off, to the acre off probably over the next couple of USDA reports. That's 800 million bushels off the top based upon 80 million harvested acres. Um, so if you're looking at 2.6 billion from the last USDA report, where are we? We're at 1.8. That's the number we can't, we thought we would be at in the spring when we have been on your program. We said, we thought the 3.3 billion bushel carryout would be closer to 1.8 when it was all said and done based upon our weather outlook and, and demand improving and that sort of thing. We think we're going to be pretty close to that Casey. We think, you know, depending on how the USDA manages the demand side of the equation, we believe we're going to be somewhere between 1.6 and 1.9 million bushel carryouts. Well, that's been the eight-year average. And December corn's average about 380 corn. So that's where we still feel that ultimately we're going to wind up. We're going to find ourselves closer to that 380 bushel December corn area than, than not. And, uh, and we think that we've, we're starting that process to work ourselves higher. How quickly we get there, you know, it could all happen in September if the USDA just drops their pants and really makes an aggressive move, which they may do, by the way. They've done that before. They've done that before in September, where they just dropped six bushels to the acre off one report, and the market goes, oh, my gosh, and then we just have a limit update. It could happen. Um, 
So we're pretty optimistic that you know, we're going to wind up there. Now, that's not six, seven, eight dollar bushel corn, but think of this way it sets up a just adequate supply market for the 2021, 22, into early 23 when we think the weather is going to be, you know, as you know, really, really unfavorable, not only here, but also in, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere, especially in Russia for in Ukraine and places. So this, 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 taking off of what was supposed to be a burdensome corn supply and with the Chinese already out of corn, you know, really sets up an explosive period for the next couple of years. Um, if we're half right about what our weather forecast looks like. And so if we're corn producers, you know, we would continue to suggest selling only what you need to, to stay in business. We wouldn't sell one additional bush or more. We would be, we view corn in the bin, um, as a very, very valuable asset for producers, for corn producers in the U.S. over the next couple of years, we would really be utilizing our, our store space as much as we possibly could. That's our recommendation, um, you know, in terms of managing your cash corn. Okay, so that's a good, a good lead into what I want to talk about Russia. So Russia is touting that they're going to have 37 million metric tons of wheat in 2021. In 20 and 21, sorry, and uh, that should put them back on top as far as the world leader as far as uh, grain exports go for wheat. Um, based on what you just said, this might be the last chance they get to be on top. Well, remember, they, they had three back crops in a row cases, so they're having a little right. bump up this year. So, yeah, this is their last chance for a little bit to have a you know, a little bit of a bump up and, and they maintain that leadership position, but we believe it's hammered down for them. Uh, it's actually worse for them than it is for us. And it's going to be really bad for us. So, you know, if you remember what happened in 2010, 11, when they had that drought where their crop got cut yeah. in half, right. You know, we could see that again. Um, it, it's not at all out of the realm that we could see that again. And so, you know, if, you know, I, I'm not the Russians and I don't, I'm not advising Russia. Um, <laughs> but, uh, they haven't called you yet. I, <laughs> but if I were them, you know, I'd be, you know, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too quick to, uh, Get rid of all of their 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 grain stocks. I think I would uh, try to manage it. You know, I know they they have they kind of develop some kind of a quota system and try to. Yeah. I, I might be a little light on the quota system this year and keep some behind because they may they may want that that cash wheat and cash corn for a rainy day when it doesn't rain in Russia. You know? Yeah, but well, one of the uh, the leading researchers of of grain solar minimums, especially headed into this one, is uh, uh, Dr. Zarkova, and she's uh, she's a Russian. So you'd think that they would have, they would listen to one of their own when it came to what they're talking about here. So, but again, propaganda machines run wild, right? Yeah, Russia's Russia's not known for their truthful representation of the facts. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual, man. There's plenty of stuff going on here. Um, any last thoughts, anything that you want to make sure people pay attention to for the rest of this week that, that we haven't talked about? Um, you know, I, 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 um, I just, the only, the general thing I would like to just convey is that overall commodities are acting, ag commodities are acting better. You know, we're just, we're seeing, you know, prices and generally moving higher. We're seeing a bid in ag markets of all kinds, even the ones that don't have a fundamental reason to go up or going up all of a sudden, you know? So so I, I think we're we're getting a, a bigger turn. We've talked about how we would get this turn, this bigger turn in the ag space, this one cheap asset that remains in this overvalued asset world that we live in, right? And, you know, I don't think people appreciate how, that with all the money that's sloshing out there in the world, 
and how they, you know, that money has pushed stock markets up and pushed real estate prices up and done all kinds of crazy things. That that money decides it wants to pile into our commodities in these small markets that we have, relatively speaking, small markets. I don't think people really appreciate what can happen, how much these markets could overshoot even what I'm thinking they could do, you know. Um, we've seen what they could do on the downside, and it's been ugly, <laughs> right? right. But, but, but it's a double-edged sword, Casey. It, it, it does cut both ways, and I know – People are, you know, don't believe it can, but it actually does. And when I, when it starts to go the other way, I think we could be looking at some pretty wild situations. And, um, and so, so I think just pay, just pay attention to um, the overall uh, sentiment change that's going on. I think there's a big change that's already happened in the, in, in most, most analysts are still think are bearish. They're still saying sell every rally, you know, buy $3 puts and corn, all those things I've been hearing. But I think they're, they're, you know, this is 2006, you know, this is 2010. When we, you know, we're, I think we're at the very early stages of moving from a phase transition to a price level we've been at for the last eight years to a much, much higher level that we're going to be at for a while. And, and that phase transition usually takes a couple of years to happen, but it's not a dollar up in corn. It's three or four or five, you know, it's, it's the phase. It's what happened. Oh, six, oh, wait, 2010, 12. It's a, it's the big move. And I just want to make sure that, you don't, you know, I don't, that, that those that are out there who are producers, you know, don't, get too much of their future crop production locked in at an unprofitable price because they're going to be really, really wishing they had been a little more uh, uh, conservative about that. I just think this is not the time to be aggressively buying into the fear that's going on out there. I think this is the time to actually be fairly optimistic about the future of prices. And, and, and just, just, think, just think, Casey, that since, I don't know, at least March, We've been hearing 275 corn, 275 corn, 275 corn, 275 corn. By you know, it's bearish, 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 and the market has basically been sideways to slightly up during that entire period of time. And so the bears have not gotten it right, and the market has been unwilling to go down despite what I believe to be one of the most bearish pairs I've ever seen. You know, the virus has put psychology in a, in a, in a, in a negativity I've never seen before. And we still not been able to crack three dollar corn futures. Right. Um, so if we're not able to do it during that environment, I mean anything can happen. But I, I, it's hard pressed for me to see, think we're going to get ourselves into a more negative position than we've just been through with trade war and, and virus. So, so to me, if you can't crack the market and all that negative news, all you need is a little positive, and it's off to the races um, to the upside. And so I would I would leave. Everyone with that thought in mind, um, that uh, be a little more optimistic. I think it's going to be a healthy, uh, it'll, it will help you in the next couple of years to be a little more optimistic about price and less willing to give away your, your hard earned crop at a price that makes no sense right now. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is Hackett Financial could do for them. What's the best way to do that? Uh, my website at Hackett, H A C K E T T, advisors.com. You know, all kinds of good information on there, um, how to contact us via email, phone numbers and such, get sample reports downloaded to see if what we do might be of some value to your listeners. Well, Sean, thanks for being on the podcast. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest information and podcast um, at, at Moving Iron LLC. Also, check out movingironllc.com for all the latest Moving Iron LLC news. 
check out the Global Ag Network and the great podcasters there. And also uh, a lot of auctions coming up here the next couple, uh, all this weekend and moving in uh, through the end of August. And a great place to check out those auction results and see the trends that are happening is TractorZoom. Um, if you're not uh, looking at TractorZoom or using iron comps, I would highly, uh, highly recommend that you do that and check it out and see what's there. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard work.